Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there. That even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, alright? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, news-making interviews with the biggest names in rock and metal. And as I tell you guys every week, all the interviews you hear on the podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard live Monday through Friday on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or anytime on the Sirius XM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you can get Sirius XM and you only listen to this podcast, you're only getting a tiny fraction of what I do on the radio on a daily basis so come on board and join us for the show. If you can't listen in the live window of 3 to 5 Eastern, you can always listen anytime on demand on the app. And there's nightly re-airs on 103 as well at midnight Eastern. You also get a sixth show on Faction Talk. I'm sorry, a sixth show on Hair Nation on Mondays only, 5 to 8 Eastern. So six live shows a week on Sirius XM. Hope you come on board. And we'll make it easy for you right now to come on board if you're not already a Sirius XM subscriber, because I can give you three months for free with no credit card required. If you'd like information on signing up for that, all you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Information is there. Try it out for three months. Join us every day on Trunk Nation. Again, no credit card required. Hope you do so. We've got two interviews for you this week. First up, John Karabi, who is back in the Dead Daisies as their lead singer. When he called into the show, he was currently on tour with his solo acoustic show opening for Tom Kiefer, which he's still doing, actually. But then he'll be going back to the Dead Daisies. They have a tour coming up with about 15 dates in America. So you can go to their website and take a look and see where if they're, if they're coming your way. And Karabi is also prominently featured in this great documentary that is now on Paramount Plus called I Want to Rock, Live in the 80s Metal Dream. 
And it's a real interesting insight into John's life and career that a lot of people are talking about. And we touch on that in this interview as well. So John Karabi, of course, best known as a former singer of Motley Crue. He will be joining us to talk about his career and everything going on with him to start off on the podcast this week. Then in the second part of the podcast, we'll bring you a second interview. And this one's a little different because it's with an NFL football team owner. And that owner is Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. Now, why would Jim Ursay be on a rock talk show? Well, Jim Ursay is a huge collector of memorabilia, including music memorabilia. And he goes around the country and presents this memorabilia in a big show for free with a charity angle to it and also has performances tied to it. I saw it for myself in Vegas a few months ago. The interview you're about to hear was leading into Jim doing it in Boston. Since this interview was done, that event has already taken place. So uh, keep that in mind when you hear it. This is, again, from my radio show a few weeks ago. The event is already taking place. But there's interesting stuff in here from Jim Ursay about his collection and about accumulating it and some of the music artifacts in it. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. And it's the first time and maybe only time I've ever interviewed a guy who's a billionaire. <laughs> and I talked to him about helping us build a real rock and roll hall of fame, as you're about to hear. So Jim Ursay talking music and his collection, owner of the Indianapolis Colts, second, will lead with John Karabi right now on the Eddie Trunk podcast. John, how are you, buddy? I'm, I'm good. And before I start anything, I just have to say, go Eagles. Okay, now we're ready. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I left, I, you know, I left that off intentionally on your rundown of your resume that you're also an Eagles fan. Despite that, yes, we're still I, fans. I know. I, I, I figured I'd, you know, well, when, when your producer called, I just, uh, I, I answered that like that. I thought it would be you, but he was like, he's just laughing. Anyway, but he's a Giants fan too, so you're in giant you're in Giants territory right now, buddy. So you're on enemy 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 property right now. Exactly, I hear you. <laughs> but that's what the rivalry's all about, man. That's how it should be. You know, you should be against the other three teams in the East. I hate the other three teams in the East besides the Giants. That's what being a fan is. Exactly. Awesome. So, so how's it going out there with Kiefer? Dude, it's been great, man. You know, honestly, I've known Tom and I have known each other for 40 plus years. We've cut our teeth in, you know, the Philadelphia, New Jersey club circuit doing covers. And, you know, we've been we've been on the on the on the road for God since uh, June, uh, beginning of June. And uh, every now and then we get we get talking about you know, the old days and all this other stuff, but it, it's been a blast. The fans are turning out and um, the shows are, everybody's playing their butts off. So it's been, it's been cool. A lot of fun. Yeah. I'm going to see you on the 28th. I'm hosting the show you guys are doing uh, in, in uh, Houston at Houston. rise rooftop. And yes. that's just you. Now there, there's no winger on that date. That's just Tom and you. So do you play longer? I imagine. Uh, yeah, a little bit longer. Um, you know, it's uh, I. You know, it's weird. I did this before with Tom, uh, the la one of the last runs he did with Cinderella, and I didn't know how it was going to work. 
but um, it's been great, man. You know, so uh, right now there's three bands on the bill. So I do like 35 minutes. And then uh, once Winger uh, goes off on their own, I'll probably get bumped up to like 45, 50 minutes, something like that, whatever. I'll just tell more jokes. <laughs> well, are you up there? Do, you're, you're not up there with a full band, right? This is you, you just with the guitar acoustic? Yep, it's just me, as you've seen before, just me with an acoustic guitar and a few stories here and there. I'm keeping them, keeping them very condensed, but uh, it's it's uh, so far so good, man. It's been awesome. Having a great speaking, time. Speaking of stories, last time we spoke, at least on the air, was uh, Monsters on the Mountain, and you had just released your autobiography. Now that it's been out for a little bit, and now that it's had a chance to sink in out there a little bit, how do you feel about it? How is the reaction uh, to it from your fans? And um, you know, what are your thoughts now that it's been able to be out and circulate a bit? It's it's cool, you know. It's I, I, honestly, I told you before, like I, I didn't really, I wasn't really looking to do a book, you know. But then obviously the COVID thing happened, and Paul Miles contacted me, and he's like, "Well, you ready now?" So we did it. Um, rare birds have been great. Um, and you know, with very supportive of the book and, um, I, you know, honestly, uh, other than the fact that a few of the fans have, were a little discouraged at how many times I used the F bomb in the book, uh, they said it was a great read. So, you know, it, it is what it is. I, 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 I look at everything like, you know, even with records, I do the best that I can. I, do the best vocals or right, whatever. And I put it out there and then I'm on to the next thing. You know what I mean? And whatever happens with it, it's going to happen, you know, but, um, so far it's been great, dude. It's selling well. I bought a bunch with me and I'm almost out. So I got to call rare bird and get more books for the second half of the tour, but it's been cool. It's been awesome. For people that, that missed the book when it originally, originally came out, I can't recommend it more highly. It's a great read. It's, um, insightful it's honest it's revealing it's funny so there's great stuff in there and uh i think people will really enjoy it if they did not read it you should absolutely get karabi's autobiography which has uh been available for a while and that's cool that you're selling them on the road so you can get out there and sign them and hand them right to the people that's always a nice thing yeah it's been i uh, i was surprised uh you know because uh, you know we've got everything the t-shirts and all that stuff but the books have been, uh, you know, there's been quite quite a line each night for the book, so it's uh, it's cool, you know. Again, I, I I I I it's weird not to sound pessimistic. I, I consider myself to be an optimistically pessimistic pessimistic person, <laughs> um, but you know, like I said, I did the book, I put it out there, I kept my fingers crossed, and like moving on onward and upward, so it's all good. So you are um, coming back to some familiar territory. I guess you start to engage with this when you're done with this tour with Kiefer, and that is a second tour of duty rejoining the Dead Daisies. Tell me about that decision and how that came about. Uh, honestly, um, you know, you and I have talked before, and, and you know, I, I told you, like, I, I when I was in the band, you know, again, not to sound weird, but I did that first record with the band and it just kind of blew up. And, um, you know, it, 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 it got to the point, like we were doing like tours with kiss and white snake and we were going overseas and doing festivals and 
Um, you know, so I, I like in a period of like three years, I think we did four albums or a little longer. Uh, it was like four albums, a bunch of world tours. Uh, and I like all of us, even the management, everybody was burnt. And, and then I had my son in my other ear, Ian, uh, you know, for my solo band, he's, he's sitting there going, great dad. I moved to Nashville to be in the solo band with you. And, uh, you know, we've done like nothing, <laughs> like what do you, what's going on? So I just kind of got off the roller coaster for a minute. Um, the guys, you know, they grabbed Glenn Hughes and did a couple of great records with Glenn. And, um, you know, now Glenn has decided to go back and do his deep purple thing. And he's, I believe he's in the studio now working on a black country communion record. Um, so they just called me up and they're like, Hey, are you rested? Are you ready to go? And I was like, yeah, we sat down. I spoke with David, uh, Lowy. Uh, we had dinner in Nashville and he basically just kind of said to me, like, I, I want to get out. I want to play. I want to tour, but I don't want to kill ourselves doing it. And I'm like, okay, uh, awesome. That's all I needed to hear. And it, uh, so far it's been great. We rehearsed, uh, probably about two months ago. We were, had a week in New York and, uh, we rehearsed for about a week and it was awesome. I got another one coming up in a few days. I'm flying back to New York to rehearse for another four, five, six days. And then, uh, I finished the tour with Tom on August 18th at the Ryman. 19th is laundry day at my house and I go right back out on the 20th with the daisies. So it's cool. Yeah. You've got uh tour dates that are already uh, announced out there, a nice run and the lineup just to bring everybody up to speed on where the dead daisies are at now. And I've had every person who's been ever in this band on this show <laughs> over the 10 years they've existed, including <laughs> Lowy. Including yes. the guy whose band it is, David Lowy, who did a, a pretty long interview with me that was very uh, candid last year, I think it was. But right now, the band now because Glenn played bass and sang, so they they brought it. You brought in Michael Devon, who I know as well, to play bass. So Glenn actually had two people replace him: you and Devon, and then the rest of the band remains the same. Doug Aldridge, Tishy, who came back a couple years ago, and uh, of course Lowy and yourself. John, yeah. why do you think, you know, by every measure, and I talked a little bit about this with Lowy too, um, we all, and David Lowy was, ve was very open about his story. Everybody knows his story at this point, that he's a wealthy guy and he has, has his fun doing this band. And apparently, you know, everybody in the band uh, travels well and is treated well and it's a great gig and it's, gr it's a great situation. And everyone who's come on this show has said that. That being said, in the 10 years this band has existed, there's been a ton of turnover of members, including yourself now back for your second tour of duty. Why do you think that is? Well, it, uh, for, first of all, the, 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 the list of people that, are, that have been involved in this, um, for example, I'll use one that you're very aware of, uh, Damon Johnson. Damon's on the list of members of the band. Uh, um, Damon, though, on was or, or Yogi as well from Buck Cherry, but like those guys, there was there was a couple issues where uh, David had some pressing things that he had to deal with. 
So we called Damon and said, hey, dude, what are you doing for two weeks? And he's like, I'm, yeah, I'm open. You know, so we basically rehearsed with him real quick uh, and flew him out. And he came in and he did a run until David could get back. So it's a little bit of a misleading uh, number of, of, of people. I know uh, Daryl Jones and Bernard Fowler are, are on the list. They came to Cuba with us when we did those shows. Um, and Daryl filled in and did a few shows for Marco. Uh, but it wasn't like lo- like a long-term thing. Uh, now, David put this band together. Initially, he had, you know... Uh, like Richard Fortas and Dizzy and he wanted great players, but he also knew like guys like Richard and Dizzy may or may not at some point leave and go back to their other thing. Um, and he's just kind of left it open and you know, like it, it is what it is, you know, like it, it's just like, okay, well, if you got to go do something else, you know, good luck. And, and uh, we're going to find somebody else, you know, and like we did with Richard, we got Doug Aldridge, you know, but um, really he's tried to put a core band together, but, uh, you know, for example, now like Marco, uh, on this run, Marco's like, you know, he's doing his thing. He's knee deep in his solo career. And, you know, so he couldn't come back. And so it, it is, you know, it's just, you know, at, at times you gotta find, <laughs> you gotta find a piece to fit in the puzzle. But uh, it's worked out great, you know what I mean, for, for David. He's kept the thing running for 10 years and, uh, you know, still moving forward. So it is what it is. I know a lot of people don't understand it, but, um, you know, they use the term collective for a reason. What uh, What is your gonna, your approach going to be to singing or will you sing material from the two records they just made with Glenn, because I agree with you, those are real good records, but and we all know Glenn has, a, you know, pretty special voice that's uh, can get up there and sing in a in a way that's pretty crazy. Still, um, vocally, are you going to be able to to do that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I we're doing we're doing a few of the Glenn songs, and there's a couple spots where it's like, okay, I'm not even going to try and hit that note, you know. So I just kind of. You know, the integrity of the song is there, um, and I'm just kind of kind of bluesing, bluesy in it up a little bit uh, and making it more my thing. You know what I mean? Um, but for the most part, the integrity of the songs are there. We, we found the ones that uh, weren't over the top where Glenn was, you know, going crazy with... Uh, you know, his, he's unbelievable, dude. Like, I, like just going back and listening to this stuff, I'm like, holy God, like, how does this guy do it? Um, but we found ones that I'm comfortable with, and they sounded pretty good, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, you know, but I'm just kind of changing them a little bit here and there and making them my own. Yeah, well, that's all you can do. I mean, and obviously you're – uh, I love your voice and you're a great singer as well. It's just, it's a different kind of singing. It's a whole different thing that Glenn does. It's like, again, even at his age, the, like you said, the notes he well, can go well, for and how high he can though, sing is crazy. It was funny though, too, because there was some things that I did 
with the daisies that Glenn attempted to do, and he just didn't feel comfortable with it. He's like, nah, man, I just, I, nah, I can't sing that one. You know what I mean? Right. So there, he picked he picked ones that he felt comfortable with, and he sang them his way. And there's, I did the same thing. I listened to the stuff with the guys, and and I'm like, well, okay, I think I'm good with these. So let's let's do these. You know, so you know we're. We're still blowing the dust off the, off of some stuff, um, you know. But it, it sounded great by the end of the, the last, you know, round of rehearsals. By the end of the week, it sounded awesome. So now it's like we just want to put the show back together again. And um, you know, in all honesty, like they just, David said, I just want the the ringleader back. Like you know, the, the, it, it was funny. He he kind of likens me to. He said, when you're out there on stage, it's like you invited, two, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 people to, to a barbecue and you're just joking with them and kidding with them and having fun. So they're like, let's put a kick-ass set together and just go out and have some fun. So we'll see what happens, man. It's I, I'm excited about it, though. It sounded great. I'm looking forward to the next batch of rehearsals and then – uh you know, after after driving around in my uh, motorhome in my truck on, on this tour, it'll be good to get back on the jet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you travel, you travel a little differently when you were in the Dead Daisies. That's for sure. You guys roll Just large. A little, it's, yes. <laughs> it's a nice thing. Uh, the dates are August twenty second. Uh, the shows start in. Uh, I'm not sure where this is, but you're a PA guy. Maybe you know a lit. Lititz, Pennsylvania. It's out there near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You know, and it's really okay. funny too because it was like it. You know, I just recently found out it's Lititz. I was. Yeah, you can get in trouble saying that the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, well, I. That's what I was doing because, to be honest with you, there's three little towns in a row: Lititz, Blue Ball, and Intercourse. <laughs> you do the math. So. I I am not kidding you. Look it up on a map. There's no way. No way. Are you being serious? I'm totally being serious. It's Lititz. There's like Blue Ball and Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were making a joke. No, I'm not making a joke. I'm serious. So for years, I was using the other pronunciation of Lititz. <laughs> you do the math. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is insane! Well, anyway, uh, from there you go, Jersey. Uh, for our listeners in Canada, you've got a good four or five shows in Canada: Toronto, uh, Hamilton, Montreal, Ottawa, uh, Vancouver. You're in Canada quite a bit, and then uh, yeah. finishing up in in LA uh, with the last date at least announced now on September 10th at the Roxy. Yep. You got a date in Vegas at there in there at Vamped on the 9th. So everybody can go to the band site and see the dates. There's um. Yeah, there's about 10, 15 right now, U.S. and Canada announced. And the other piece of this is since the band is celebrating 10 years, there's a compilation record coming out, right? Like a best of record. Yeah, and it's and it's weird. Like, it, it's, it's kind of cool because <clears throat> the band has been together now for 10 years. But there's a lot of, there's a, obviously, you know, like Glenn's got a huge following on his own. So a lot of people came into the Dead Daisies not really knowing um, much about the band with my time in it or John Stevens, for example. Um, so it's just cool. They put a best of record together. They've got some John Stevens stuff on there. Some of mine, some of Glenn's, 
And uh, it's just kind of like, hey, this is what we've done in the last 10 years, and hopefully there's way more to come. So, um, you know, I kind of dig it because uh, there's been a few fans even that were partial to, like, my years that didn't really know, like, when I left, they thought that, you know, whatever, and they kind of fell off the train for a minute. Um, and I was like, oh, they've done some great stuff with Glenn Hughes. And they were like, oh, I'll have to check that out. So this is just a cool way for everybody to become familiar with everything the Daisies have done. Last thing on the Dead Daisies, have you guys talked about a new record? Um, you know, a little bit. I, I mean, again, Eddie, like when we got together, like I hadn't played these songs in forever uh and then there was a lot of stuff too that we're kind of doing in our set that they didn't play even with glenn so you know right now we're just focused on putting a kick-ass set together um you know obviously go out and promote this new record and then um you know we've talked about new music um you know but Right now, we haven't slotted anything like, all right, we're going to do a record in January or February. But there, there's been some talk, but nothing concrete yet. But we'll see. All right. Um, before I let you go, uh, a few other things I want to hit you with. I mentioned this at the when I introed you as well, and I've had a chance to see this. I don't know if you even had a chance to see it yet. But there is a new three-part documentary series called I Want to Rock Living the 80s Dream coming to Paramount Plus on the 18th of this month. Three one-hour episodes, and I've had a chance to watch it, and it focuses on a few different people in it and their stories, and you are one of the primary people featured in it. Have you had a chance to see it yet? I, I've seen I've seen pieces of the, the last version I saw was uh, they were still kind of getting like some of the sound, like you could hear, like there was like background noise and uh, it, it, it wasn't quite sound wise edited yet. But um, you know, what I saw, I was, I liked, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really cool because it's not just about the thing that I like about it. It's not about the, you know, totally or a hundred percent about the partying and the excess, you know, there's a little bit of that in there, but it, it, it really kind of delves into the, each person that's involved, like, like why they got into music and how they got into music and, you know, and then leaving wherever they came from and going to California to, to chase the brass ring, you know? So, it was a little bit of a different angle and I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. So uh, I was as surprised as anybody. Uh, I got a call from people and, and uh, Tyler Misham and they said, uh, you know, we want you involved in this. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, you do realize I'm the guy that ruined Motley's career. Right. And <laughs> so they're like, you know, they'd be laughing about it, but um, it, it's, it's cool. I'm excited about it. And, I'm really excited too, because there's, they're featuring a song that I wrote with Marty Fredrickson at the end. So I'm going to try, I'll send it to you uh, when we get off the air, but it's a new song that's going to be in the documentary. And I want to try and set everything up so I can put that out uh, as well in conjunction with, or right after the 
the premiere or the release of the, you know, the, the series, but, um, it, I, I'm excited about it, you know? I, I agree with you. And in full disclosure, I helped out a little bit on it behind the scenes. I'm not in it, but I helped do some consulting work behind the scenes on it. And I'll tell you, um, but I, I was not super involved at all. And I, I uh, did get an advance to look at, and I loved it. And you kind of touched on one of the reasons why I loved it so much is because we've all heard the stories a billion times of how, well, if you're like us, we lived it, but people have heard the stories of the craziness of the Sunset Strip and how great the 80s were. And then, of course, the crash with Nirvana and who's returned and who hasn't and all that. That's been covered. And yeah, that's it, that is in this thing. And it's it's well done, that part of it. But I love the fact that they went and really honed in on not the usual suspects when they cover uh, when shows are done like this. People like yourself, people like Janet Gardner of Vixen, who was somebody that I recommended, uh, Snake Sabo from Skid Row, uh, yep. Vicki Hamilton, who managed Motley, Poison and Guns initially and, and got them going. Like these stories are really good and different stories. And I got to tell you, John, I really think, and I don't know how many people will see this because where there's a million streaming things these days, but hopefully people do. I think this is really going to be a big boost to you because people that know you know you maybe for one thing or another thing or the Motley stuff or whatever they may know, but they may not, people, unless they really are your hardcore fans, may not know your entire story. And that's really laid out pretty extensively in this. Yeah, I was I was surprised Tyler, uh, you know, who directed it. He called me up and I told him a couple of stories and, and he was like he was particularly moved by one. And, uh, you know, but, you know, it, and that that was the beauty of the whole thing that I, I was like, OK, this isn't like, you know, because I, I got to be honest, I've been offered and, and asked to do other things, but it really kind of to me, it really kind of focused more on the you know the chicks that you know and I, like i'm like dude it's been done i don't i don't i don't want to be involved in this and the thing that appealed to me about this was like you said it's it's the deeper story of how how what i had to go through to get to la and the best one i gotta be honest with you while we're talking about it because i just told kip this <clears throat> dude like i i think one of the most insane parts of the i told kip this and I, I don't care what anybody thinks but like i i was almost moved to tears to the part where kip who we all know his story about his you know his wife and the tragedies there and and then being you know this world famous band and then the cartoon characters that are just taking a piss out of him every every whatever but the fact when he got that nominated for a Grammy for that, that, uh, you know, classical piece. And I just told him, I said, dude, I, I've never been happier in my life. Like I just watching that. I was so happy for you. Do you know what I mean? Like after, after seeing that, and I think it's really going to move a lot of people. There's some really deep stories there. And, and, uh, you know, the, I call it the rags to riches to, to, you know, rags to riches to rag story and, you know, trying to climb back out of the hole again. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty deep. And I like the way they did it. 
Yeah, and you're right. The stuff on Kip is incredible too because it covers the you know the the Beavis and Butthead, the rise, the fall, but also Everything. the stuff that the stuff that people may not know about Kip. Like you said, the classical music and all the success he's had doing that. I mean, I talk about it a lot, but this is a broader thing, obviously. So I think that um, I think it's really going to be interesting, and 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 just it's very candid, like Janet Gardner admitting that and showing that she's a dental hygienist and left Vixen and how to get a job and what she's doing now and, th and things like that. And, and Vicky's story being more behind the scenes in the industry and being there at the beginning on all these bands that went on to major status and unfortunately losing them along the way. But uh, yeah, it's real good for people that, uh, you know, have Paramount plus uh, uh, July 18th is the, I think they're going to do one episode a week. They're three episodes an hour long. And uh, John Karabi is featured throughout and really, really good. Very well done. This isn't some sort of like YouTube thing, unauthorized, whatever. This is fully involved with the artists and MTV and all of that. So it, there's great stuff in there. And and finally, John, um, obviously there's a lot in that show in that, about your time in Motley Crue. And, you know, I'm curious uh, what you, you know, your take on, I mean, I know you're close with Mick. I, I are you? I don't even know as far as Mick's record is concerned. It, there's been so many people in and out of that, and it's taken so long. At the end of the day, are you on it or not, or do you know? I I I I don't know, and I have to be honest with you. Like I I texted Mick when that first press release came out, and he did not respond, which was odd for Mick. Um. Me too, by the way. I texted with Mick, and I did the same thing and didn't hear him, and that was odd hear from him. Yeah, he 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 was radio silent. And <clears throat> so I um, – it, it was funny. I was in Switzerland, and I texted his wife, Serena, and I'm like, oh, I'm in your motherland, blah, blah, blah. And she immediately texted me back and said, oh, you know, I can't wait to go there at Christmas or whatever it was. And then I wrote, how's Mick? Radio silence. And I'm like, okay. And then I got asked at a book signing in London. They said uh, a fan, because there was fans there, and and the fan said, hey, what do you, what do you think of this whole Motley Crue thing? You know, the the release that was put out. And I said, well, from experience, <clears throat> that release was put out by Motley Crue and their management. Uh. I'm not saying a word. I don't believe a word of it, but I'm not saying a word until I hear from Mick. And then obviously we know what happened there. Um, you know, but Mick's record, I don't know if I'm on it or not. Uh, I think that there's going to be, uh, between me, you and the fence post, I don't know if the record will come out because unfortunately I believe I could be wrong on this. But I think Mick, uh, his record, when he was finished, he signed a record deal with Alan Kovac's record label. Motley's label and management. I know. I've talked about that, too. I, I was, yes. Be, because ja because Jacob now, Bunton worked on the record, too. And I think Jacob had told me that. Yes. And so I got I to gotta believe that. It's going to be tied up they're not going to allow him to release that record because if he generate, I, I know how those guys work. And it's like, if, if he releases this record and makes, you know, any money at all, it's going to go to a lawyer 
to help him with his lawsuit. So I, they're probably going to sit on that record. And I just hope that Mick can get it, get it back, get it out. And I hope that he's got his duck ducks in order, um, you know, and got all his facts correct so that he doesn't sit there with egg on his face at the end of this. Um, you know, but we'll see, you know, I'm as clueless as everybody else is. Uh, I just, I, I, you know, and, and it, it, to me, you know, as much, as much as I've been through with the guys, to me, the whole thing is just sad. They've got a 41 year legacy and it's, it's kind of like peeling an onion. <laughs> like it's just coming. Like I just, it's not good. You know what I mean? This whole thing is not good. So, you know what I think about if they would have adhered to their contract when they ended that they were never going to come back, none of this would be happening. <laughs> but well, of course, and, and you know, something, the, the, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. Like my wife, uh, I, I remember when I was in rat, one of the last tours I did with him, we did some shows with the scorpions uh, in like Illinois in the Midwest. And my wife was a huge scorpions fan. And she was like, Oh my God, I'm never going to get to see them again. So I flew her up. She came to the show and she was, I got her like sitting on a chair, like right on the side of the stage. And she was just in her glory. And then it was like, well, we've kind of decided that we're going to keep going. And I mean, I, I, nothing against the scorpions. I don't care what anybody chooses to do, but it's my wife was like, how did these bands get away with telling everybody they're going to retire? They charge astronomical sums of money for the retirement tickets, and then they don't retire. Like, so, and, and my wife now is at a point, as much as she loves the Scorpions, she will never buy another Scorpions record again because she feels like she was frauded. And, you know, when Motley signed that, agreement i just looked at my wife and i go i think we're about to have another scorpions episode you know yeah, what i mean i talk about Whatever. it all the time i i don't know how anybody can ever believe not just motley any the eagles just announced their farewell which and they said they're going to play for as long as they want to and play in as many t many nights and in, in, in consecutive nights in cities until the tickets are all exhausted and they'll probably go into 25 or 2026 and, and they announced their first farewell in like 2002 so it's like it's a running joke yeah. i mean there's well, no and, band and, that's ever done it and stayed away it's it's crazy it's crazy yeah, everybody it's, buys into you know, it it's you know i mean I, I and again to each his own you know but it's like when did ozzy announce the no more tours tour 92 yeah, and, you know, I love the guys in KISS, but I think they've been on a farewell tour since, like, what? 23 years? Yeah, you know what I mean? So, uh, who knows, dude? I, I don't. The Who in 82, John, the Who announced their farewell in 82, 41 years ago. They're still playing shows. Yeah, so. <laughs> I just read this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. One more for you. I just read this last night. I forgot to mention this. Elton John. The long goodbye yellow brick road, whatever he's calling it, farewell tour, played the final show the other night. At the yep. end of the show of what was billed as his final show, he stepped up to the microphone. He said, I'll be back way sooner than you think. 
<laughs> imagine, imagine if you drop like twenty grand on a ticket, thinking you're seeing the final Ever Elton John show, and 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 then you walk out of the place saying, "What? <laughs> it's yeah, insane! Like, I, come on, you know what I mean?" And and it's it's just. It's funny to me, you know, again, to each his own, you know, maybe there's a master plan that I haven't figured out yet. Um, but I'm here to tell you today, I'm retiring until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, hey, if it works uh, one for other everybody thi- else, it's got to work for me, dude. Come on. Yeah, why not? One other thing that just hit me, I, I, I often forget that you were in Rat. And uh, I just had Piercy on my show the other day. And we were talking and, you know, they put out this box set of all the rats, the classic rat stuff. But um, what what is your take on that? Because that's a band that so many people ask me about. And you were in there for a little while that, that, that you know, really could be doing some stuff right now. Could possibly be like third build on a stadium tour or headlining some of these 80s themed things. And that they just cannot make that thing work. The, the different dynamics and history of lawsuits and all of that. Do you have any insights on what really goes on having been somebody on the inside of rat as to why they can't function? I listen, I, I, I love Warren, Bobby, Juan, uh, even Carlos, Robbie crane, like everybody that's been involved in thing, Jizzy, you know, Steven, but it's crazy, dude. Like we used to laugh, um, Robbie Crane will tell you too, but like me, Robbie Crane, and like Craig Bradford, who's actually tour managing Tom Kiefer right now. Yeah, we would go out, we would show up at rehearsal, and they would say, "Oh yeah, rehearsal at 12. and we'd get in there and we'd start setting our gear up, and then Bobby and Warren would start going at it about the tempos of the song. And it would just go on and on. So I'd be sitting there with my guitar on and Crane sitting there. And then Crane would go, hey, dude, you want to go get a sandwich? I'm like, yep, okay. And we'd literally go get a sandwich, eat the sandwich at Subway or wherever we went, come back, and they'd still be arguing about the same (laughs) song. And it's just, it's crazy to me. I love all those guys individually, but when you put them all together, they're all like it's it's like this toxic i don't know what it is like they cannot function together and i i even told i i just saw blotzer at troy patrick's wedding a couple years ago and i'm like dude motley's figured it out they just travel separately like just do what you got to do like put the band back together again Get out there, like you said. I mean, I could have easily seen Rat on that, you know, Motley, Def Leppard, Poison, Rat tour. It could have been awesome. And But they can't get out of their own way. I love those guys individually. Steven and I are fine. Like, he always texts me for my birthday or Father's Day or whatever. And, um, you know, uh, but it's it's crazy when you put them all together. You put all the ingredients in the pot, it's supposed to be a really tasteful stew. For some reason, it's like, nah, dude, it's onion soup, and they forgot the onions. It's weird. (laughs) I know. It's hard to figure. It really is, because there's so many great songs, and 
They could be doing some great business, but they just cannot figure it out and get out of their own way. It's great. I love them exactly. all as well. I know them all individually. I've interviewed them all in various configurations, but it's it's head scratching that they just, you know, it's it's a revolving thing as, to, as far as who has the issue with who on any given yeah, day, rat, and they just cannot rat, make it work. Rats like inviting your blind friend to a gun range. It's like, nah, <laughs> this ain't going to work. <laughs> Well, listen, man, I appreciate the time. Say hi to everybody out there on the road. I'll see you in a couple weeks in uh, in Houston at Rise Rooftop. Looking forward to hosting that one. And that's with uh, you and Tom and, of course, uh, Winger on most of the dates as well. I think L.A. Guns comes in on a few dates here and there. I think it. I think, I think even Piercy comes out on a couple shows, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, actually, I think, there's I a- think Tom, Tom and Piercy just played uh- – Yesterday in Big Flats, New York, I, I split okay. and went and did a couple of solo shows. They played yesterday, and um, I, I'm not sure if there's any more. But, um, yeah, when we get back to Nashville, I got a little break after the re- Daisy's rehearsals. And then it's me and Tom, uh, and then we go to Green Bay, and Winger jumps on for like a show or two. And then it's me and Tom, and then Winger does the last show at the Ryman in Nashville. Nice. All right, well, a lot going on, man. Uh, John's back in the Dead Daisies. Tour dates coming up with them. The Greatest Hits record coming up with them. Uh, See John out now, uh, like we just talked about, opening for Tom Kiefer. And see John in the coming Paramount Plus documentary called I Want to Rock, which starts on July 18th. And uh, all good stuff, man. Um, Good to see you're so busy, and I'll see you in Houston soon. Awesome, buddy. You forgot to mention that I got. I'm 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 now the night manager at the Seven Eleven too. So uh, <laughs> it's all good. But I will uh, looking forward to seeing you in Texas, buddy. All right, man. Take care. Travel safe. I'm in late. Well, thanks to John Karabi, and again, check out the documentary. Check out the Dead Daisies on tour, and there may even be a few remaining dates that he has with Kiefer out there. I'm going to be hosting one, as a matter of fact, tomorrow. If you're listening to this on post day at Rise Rooftop in Houston, which is Kiefer and Karabi. So hope to see you guys in Houston if you happen to be in that part of the country. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around with nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, as I promised, a little bit of a different second interview for you this week because it's with an NFL owner, Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, talking about his music memorabilia and more. Enjoy. Jim, how are you? Thank you for the time. Of course, you could do it for half a century. 
you have a wife, two kids, and a cat, and they're going to demand for you to keep going and pushing forward. Jim, are you there? I'm here. Oh, uh, you sound a little off off the off the uh, phone. Can you get up on the phone a little bit because we can't hear okay, you so let well? Let me try this because I went to a landline. So hold on. How about this? Is this way better? better? Way oh, better. Oh, cool. Well, I Thank said you, you can go fifty years. You got a wife, two kids, and a cat, and they're going to demand <laughs> you to keep going out there on the treadmill. <laughs> I mean. I, I mean, you never, you never, well, you, you can't stop. And, and look, as somebody who's extraordinarily successful, you can speak to this. I think the minute you stop, you kind of really get complacent and lazy. You got to stay in it, right? Well, like Waters said on money, I, I think I'll buy me a football team. I mean, that, I mean, it keeps going on, you know? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I don't, if, look, if I could buy any football team, with all respect to your Colts, I'm a huge, huge Giants fan, but I don't think Mr. Mara is interested in selling. But if you can well, put a word in. Well, you know, in, I, I, I love the history of the Giants, and we have our great championship game that made modern football happen in 58 and 59 with Johnny U and Weeb Bank and all your great players. And uh, uh, that's where it all started. We plugged in with CBS, and the rest is history. So, um, you know, great great uh, love for the Giants and the Meritish family there for sure. So, um, yeah, I and know I, you're, and, you're... And Jim, I actually, I actually saw my team. I was actually at your stadium. The only Super Bowl I ever went to in my life was, was when the Giants beat the Patriots in Indianapolis. It's the only time I was there. I know it. I know it. Well, we got a lot of Boston people on the line, so be careful, Eddie. You don't want to. <laughs> That's right. We're promoting a Boston event. You just reminded me. <laughs> I know, but you know what? We're going to do a, a Colts Patriots rivalry uh, just for fun off the field, breaking bread of a piece together. And Vince Woolfolk will be there, and Edger and James, and Tarek Glenn, and and who knows who might show up. But uh, we're going to be throwing out some footballs. You saw how we do that in Vegas. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, so they got to be careful out there. Someone got hurt in Vegas because we told them, hey, be be careful. Here comes a real NFL football. So Edwin, he heaved one about 50 yards, and um, it ended up okay, but we had a little uh, broken arm there uh, from a little laddie, but, but he was okay, thank God. So, um, yeah, we're so excited. You know, I'm so glad someone uh, who appreciates, like, like you, uh, has had a chance to um, – just you know, peruse and and really dig into oh, yeah. the collection. You know, I'm sure you were center mostly on 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 rock and roll guitars, et cetera, pianos. But um, you know, there's nothing like it in the world. You know, Eddie, and I, I think you know because you've been there. You know, when when you've been to a show and 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 you see actually what's there, even beyond um, you know music and and you know. Uh, the original copy of the big book, a man, manuscript, the 12 steps uh, from 1939, um, the original manuscript and Jack Kerouac's manuscript and Secretariat Saddle and, you know, the belt from, you know, Ali one from Foreman and Zaire in 74 and the rope-a-dope. I mean, you know, so much is there. Um, and the music is so great once we take it to the stage. And whether, what other time do you have a situation where, you know, David Gilmore's Black Strat ends up in Kenny Wayne Shepherd's yeah. hands and we do Comfortably Numb and, and, and Kenny it's amazing those solos. It's incredible. 
Yeah, it's amazing, Jim. And and that's what I wanted to tell my audience. You know, after I went to the Vegas event, I had a chance to meet you very briefly there, but I was there the whole day and I watched you guys play. And we should explain to people what this is, because when you do these, you really do them in an amazing way. And amazingly, it's totally free. But you have you you start with a great jam of world class musicians. And I know the one you're doing in Boston this weekend is uh, you just added Peter Wolf of Jay Giles, obviously local heroes there in the Boston area as well. And uh, you've got Kenny Wayne Shepherd, who's phenomenal. And also you got uh, a friend of mine who did the Vegas one and I know is doing this one as well. Kevin Cronin from REO. I think in yeah. Vegas you had Billy Gibbons come out. So you kind of have a rotating. Well, Vince, group of Gill, people, will, right? Vince Gill will be there too uh, uh, for this one. And, uh, you know, if he's not the best musician on the planet he's certainly up there with them as a guitar player and singer um sure. you know, just incredible you know to have vince there um yeah i've been talking to peter wolf he's so excited you know he was kind of writing his memoirs and he hadn't played for about a year but uh mike wanchek our musical director kind of our chuck lavelle who's mellencamp's you know 40 year plus um guy for his band um uh it, it's really great it's going to be an incredible show and um you know like like you said until you go you really don't even realize what's there and 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 the musical performance you know producing this you know i just try to give the people what they want and and the goal is to you know to give them two and a half hours of um uh some of the greatest music around um that connects possibly where we're at you know certainly you know, when um, Kenny Wayne Shepard got Tiger for the first time on stage and did West L.A. Fade Away in San Francisco, that was really cool and fit right into where we were in Frisco for that show. So um, it, it's, it's incredible that way, and um, it, it's really been, um, you know, we've had so many, you know, the band is centric with um, a lot of great players, the best drummer in the world, probably Kenny Arnoff and Mike Mills from R.E.M. and, and uh, Michael Ramos on keyboards. And Kenny Wayne Shepard uh, is like having Michael Jordan in your band. You know, he's so incredible. And Tom Bukovic, the best studio guitarist in Nashville. And uh, uh, so it's remarkable. It's uh, And Danny, you're up there. And, and Jim, we should tell people you're up there. When I was there, you were up there hanging out, doing a little singing, a little playing. You were, you're part of it, too, as far as the music is concerned, right? Yeah, you know, we do about 28 songs. And, you know, I'll go up from uh, probably like, uh, you know, maybe five, four or five. You know, the biggest thing is to make the show you know, really happened great. And, and you know, I, I do a, a great version of Johnny Cash's Hurt, Trent Reznor song, which is really personal to me. And, uh, you know, do the, the does the water vocals on um, uh, Comfortably Numb. And then we blend in Gilmore's vocals with Mike Mills and Carmela Ramsey. So, so we get it covered. I think, you know, we're trying to work up a surprise with... Uh, uh, Vince Gill coming in because he can sing anything so I, I, it, it, well, you know, so with his range, uh, it, it's going to be a really exciting show and we're going to have, like I said, it's going to be fun to have a little Colts Patriots theme and, and uh, um, incredible night, you know, uh, we're dealing with the Ted Williams tunnel shutdown in, in Boston, which is a little difficult, Eddie, but uh, we're going to, you know, 
Uh, I don't know. We may have to bring in some helicopters. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, people might expect that from you, Jim. They may say, oh, Jim's got the resources. Call in the choppers. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that gets figured out. Let, let me ask you about uh, about the some of the key items in your in, in this really what's a traveling museum and the way it's dis- displayed is so impressive. But I'm curious, you know, uh, for you as a as a kid growing up, when did were you always a collector? Was it always like were you somebody that collected, I don't know, baseball cards or any sort of memorabilia? Where did you kind of get that bug to start accumulating things like this? Well, exactly, Eddie. You hit it on the head, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine years old. I'd ride my bike down to the drugstore in Winnetka, Illinois, and they had those little mom-and-pop drugstores, you know, where they had everything, baseball cards. So, you know, I'd save up my money. Uh, I'd actually deal hot dog gum in school and, you know, buy it for five cents and sell it for 50 cents. So I was already a capitalist on the move illegally in school selling illegal contraband hot dog gum at age eight <laughs> to pay for my baseball cards. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I loved uh, baseball cards. I had a, a tremendous collection and uh, was just, you know, went to a lot of museums in Chicago um, early on, and I was always fascinated with collectibles, you know, the the power that they have. And, and you know, there's so much to the collection um, you know, a lot of Kennedy stuff um, coming, you know, in, into Boston and everything, his um, rocking chair that he sat in and, uh, you know, the coin he rubbed together during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 61 and just, um, you know, so so many things that tie, um, you know, to, to America in the 20th century, which was an incredible century. But it also goes back, you know, we have a copy of the, Declaration of Independence, one of the very few copies that was made 230 years ago by a guy named Stone. And, you know, I showed it to President Obama about a year ago in Martha's Vineyard, and I wanted him to sign it. I said, Mr. President, if you sign it, it'll kind of bridge, you know, the present to the past and could be healing. He goes, you know, Jim, I'm not signing the Declaration of Independence. And I'm like, but Mr. President, it would, Jim, I, did you hear me? Oh, yes, Mr. President. So I'll give you a side letter. You know, when the president says no, it's no. So, right, right, right. So it's, it's really cool, Eddie, all the different stuff. But I, like you, am, am such a huge um you know, uh, rock and roll fan and, and grew up with, you know, NFL football, well, all football, um, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and uh, rock and roll, you know, and like, you know, um, Stephen Stills, I was just with him. He's uh, going to have his 79th birthday on January 3rd, and he's doing great, and, and uh, he's been a longtime friend, and, you know, he's played uh, in, a, in a few of the shows recently, you know, John Fogarty. Yeah, he Billy was in Gibbons. Vegas. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. And, I saw and, him, yeah. And so, um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, we're going to do Farm Aid, and, and I think Ann Wilson from Hart's going to uh, rejoin us because she um, tries to get with us uh, as much as we can. And, you know, we give the people what we want. You know, I was with Ann, or people said, well, she won't do Stairway to Heaven like the Kennedy Center. She doesn't like doing it. And I 
So don't even ask her. And I said, well, hey, Ann, will you do Stairway to Heaven? Oh, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, so, so we did that uh, in Indy uh, at the big, uh, you know, when we sold out Lucas Oil Stadium, 50,000-plus uh, people. Um, and so that, that was uh, incredible. You know, we've just had some incredible performances out there. And we aim towards rock and roll. You know, I brought in Natalie Merchant to New York with the New York Symphony for our show to perform with the band and you know it was a bit too quiet with the strings and her sensitive uh tones and her lyrics and she kind of was a little bummed out people weren't listening more and i said well natalie you know this is rock and roll so uh, we kind of learned a lesson just play loud yeah. you know <laughs> so uh, yeah. we we we, we kind of chuck out the ballads we'll do a few but uh you know we like to play a lot of rock and roll that's for sure let me ask you, if I can, with the time that we have, I'm curious about a few things in your collection. And again, you can people who want to see more on this and learn more about this, if you go to jimursaycollection.com, there's a ton of stuff there for you to see, everything from photos to information about the event and, and all of that. But I'm curious, and I mean, this is probably a question that you get asked a lot, but in terms of the music portion of the memorabilia you've collected what did you spend the most what is the most expensive item in there what did you pay the most for well you know um what's worth the most now you know i was offered um by a, a, a middle east element kind of like the what's been going on in golf a little bit to you know 1.150 billion dollars um, for the collection, and they wanted to move it to Dubai, and they wanted it in totality. Because, you know, I put this together for 25 years with blood, sweat, and tears. And so, um, so much uh, the collective of this collection um, is, is so incredible because there's none like it. And you can't get, you know, certain things anymore. You can't get Tiger anymore. You can't get, you know, David Gilmore Strat, you can't get the Beatles drum kit. It's just not out there, you know. Um, but the, the highest thing that was bought, like at auction, was actually um, uh, Ali's uh, belt that he beat Foreman and Zaire in '74 in the famous Roper, um, you know, Roper Doper in Zaire, Africa. And so um, that was, um, you know, that went for, for almost $7 million. Um, and, uh, you know, guitars keep breaking records. When Gilmore's Black Strat went for four million and sixty-six nations were tuned into that, um, uh, you know, auction. That uh, you know, when when Gilmore's guitar went for more than a little more than four million dollars, that had broken the record. And then um, a second Cobain from Unplugged guitar was sold to this Australian for six million dollars, which made no sense. Um, actually. Um, it kind of, you know, broke the standards of what usually you expect them to be worth. So um, everything just keeps going, you know, really up in value because some of it's been owned for more than 20 years, include, including the scroll, you know, which was gotten in the year 2000, um, Jack Kerouac's on the road scroll. So, there, you know, that's probably my favorite. You know, we've added Secretariat Saddle, which was a huge, huge addition and that was seen out at the Belmont on on Fox Sports before the race, and um, so it, it's really it, it's it's incredible, um, you know. Just uh, you know, Dylan's probably my favorite guitar is Dylan's Black Strat that he plugged in at Newport Folk Festival in '65 
when Pete Seeger threatened to cut the wires because he's supposed to be a folk singer. And, right. you know, you can hear the recording. You know, uh, Dylan is just like, you know, they're calling him a Judas. And he just says, play real fucking loud. And he broke into like a Rolling Stone. And that changed music. Then came the Birds and Revolver and Rubber Soul and, and all the different sorts of um, uh, folk rock that emerged because of Dylan plugging in in 65. So that that guitar is really, really um, one of the most important musical instruments in rock and roll history. You know, Jim, I was amazed. The story of you uh, getting the David Gilmore, uh, the Black Strat, the, the Gilmore Strat from Comfortably Numb, um, that that made a lot of news and i got to be honest with you i was shocked that it went that that it went for what it went for you were if i'm not mistaken did you pay for for was it 4.4 million for that yeah it's it's right there with um additional fees from tax and and the auction charge so um that's accurate right around 4.4 uh, million were you 66. shocked that it went that high I was, that- you know, it was expected to go for probably, you know, and you know, two and two and a half, two point three, two point five, maybe two point seven. Um, so that was a shocker. You know, we were, you know, down to two people bidding me and someone else, and the other person finally dropped out. Um, but but that was an intense auction, um, just because again, sixty six nations involved. But again, with Pink Floyd, you have to remember you know, international, you know, the dark yeah. side of the mood triangle, you can find that, you know, in a cab somewhere, you know, in in the deep parts of, um, uh, you know, Pakistan or something, anywhere, you know, it, it's just so iconic. So, um, you know, I really aim at the best of the best. Sometimes it's a big pursuit, pursuit, blood, sweat, and tears, and effort. You know, I went to England. I went to London to this castle. We were playing the Jaguars in 2016. And John Lennon's first cousin, Mimi's son, and John was raised by Mimi because his mom got hit by a bus when he was nine, and his dad left home. So Mimi's son was there with his wife, and he had one of John's main guitars from the Beatle era um, that I bought from him in, in a side purchase that wasn't an auction. Um, so you pursue these things sometimes uh, away from you know auction sites if you have an opportunity to get them. That was one where it was a special situation because John's first cousin telling stories about him and growing up with him, and then having the guitar there in London at this castle was uh, incredible. So you have great memories like that as well in the last you know 25 years of putting this whole thing together. You know, I, there's a couple items I want to. I know you. Know, I don't have a ton of time here with you, but there's a couple items I, I, I'm really curious about their origins and how you got them. One thing that blew my mind, speaking of the Beatles, is you have the actual studio lyric sheet that Paul McCartney wrote the lyrics for "Hey Jude." What, yes. When? Where did? Was that just an auction thing, or is that something that McCartney himself is selling? How does that work? How does that land in your lap? Well, I, I I know Paul. I've met Paul. I don't know him well. I, in 89, I spent, um, you know, Valentine's Day with him and Linda um, uh, before their show uh, in India. And uh, it was great, you know, spending about an hour with them and Linda at Soundcheck. But, you know, really, lyrics, that was an auction item. And, and you debate lyrics versus 
guitars, for instance, because guitars, like, these guitars are great guitars as they stand alone as a guitar. Then you add the lineage who played them, and then, of course, everything changes with, with the history of that. But lyrics, um, you know, are, are, are um, you know, something that, that uh, certainly... Uh, um, I've been on and have some incredible. I have all of Jim Morrison's writings from Paris um, that were never released the two months before his death. You know, um, handwritten by him, uh, including his microphone for all his doors, uh, um, you know, performances. Because I mean, there's just so, so, so many things um, that are in the collection. It runs so deep. Um, like I said, not just in music, but in in just um, pop culture and politics and and history. Um, and so um, it, it's uh, it's been put together that way to simply say. I mean, you have to remember we have John Lennon's piano that was in his flat for 20 years that he wrote Sergeant Pepper on, that he wrote all those great be a day in the life, all these great Beatles songs on a plaque he put on it. And that, to me, may be one of the most valuable pieces I have. I mean, it was his piano. We have John uh, Elton John's piano, which is so major, maybe the most important piano in the world. You know, Freddie Mercury played it at Live Aid. Paul McCartney did Let It Be in front of two billion people at Live Aid. You know, Elton John and John Lennon, John Lennon's last living performance in 74 at Madison Square Garden was on that piano with Elton John. Elton played at all his big shows at Dodger Stadium in 74. So that piano is just incredible. It started as a white piano, then Elton painted it back black, and then decided to sell it because he got a sponsorship deal from a different uh, piano company. So we were lucky enough to get this piano, but but um, there can't be two pianos, any pianos anywhere except you know, maybe the Layla piano in Georgia, that, that's iconic, no question. Um, uh, but I would say those three of the, uh, you know, we have two of the three of the biggest pianos that come to mind in rock history. Yeah, the other thing that gets a lot of uh, attention that I think is a more recent addition and certainly a newer, by comparison, I mean, a lot of your collection is obviously the the iconic people, the founders of music, you know, of rock music, whether it's Hendrix or Dylan or all these uh, different McCartney, the Beatles, all that stuff that you have. But you have, um, you acquired the Kurt Cobain guitar that he played in the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, was that the most expensive was that the most you paid for a guitar tell me the backstory that, that, on that wasn't one. the most but that that was second only to Gilmore's uh Black's uh Strat for all the you know Keith Floyd songs that he bought in 69 in New York City at a famous music shop and and so really it it's something where you know Darren Julian of, of Julian's Auction House came and we had a press conference together and I started off the bidding at 2.2 and then I wasn't sure I was going to go for it. I was in Hawaii and the time difference was happening. This was a strange auction where they're still bidding at 3, 4 in the morning. So I just, you know, kind of, you know, called uh, the main 48 uh, states, so to speak, uh, and and changed my strategy and said, you know, we are going to go after this guitar, and I know what it's worth. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I put a number out there which was um, about a hundred thousand dollars more than it ended up going for, and and, and we got it. So that that's uh, that was one of his main key guitars, and that means a lot, particularly with Kick the Stigma. You know, our main charity for my family and the Colts and myself and my daughter Caitlin runs it is, you know, um, uh, destigmatizing mental health diseases right. like addiction and alcoholism with Kurt and, and uh, you know, everything, bipolar, anorexia, depression. So, but I, I think you cannot forget, Eddie, that the only Beatles drum kit in the world that was put together by buying drum skin two first for almost three million dollars, waiting six months, six weeks later for Ringo to sell the only Beatles drum kit in the world, and so luckily I got them both. And I, my friend, God rest his soul, because he was a great American, Paul Allen, uh, the co-Microsoft founder, and the you know hundred billion dollar worth or wherever the stock market is worth is i said paul at an owner's means why i was still alive he said well thanks for not bidding on ringo's drums i really needed that to finally put the beatles together he said what do you mean i was bidding you outbid me you know and i said i did well thanks for not flexing your muscles then because uh, i wouldn't have stood a chance if he got angry but he was always that type of guy he respected the market and you know you have to remember that was putting the beatles back together there is no drum kit in the world that exists um, that's the Beatles drum kit except that one. That is actually the only Beatles drum kit in the world. And it took, you know, a lot of effort to put together because Ringo never had one of the six surviving drop T drum skins that were made, and uh, but he had the drums. So someone else had the drum skin and it was a famous one from all the Ed Sullivan shows and the Beatle performances, you know, that goes onto the drum head that has the drop T. And so that was put on Ringo's set, um, like it was originally meant to be to complete the beat. And I said, you know, we got the Beatles back together finally. You know, it took a while and yes, in an abstract way, but they're back together. <laughs> yeah, no, and that, that drum set is set is an amazing piece when you walk through the exhibit it's sitting right there housed in glass and it's just incredible it's an incredible centerpiece to this the stuff is endless it's it's amazing again you can go to jimersaycollection.com you can see some of the photos of this stuff well after i came back from the vegas event i raved about the whole event jim the way your your people and your staff run it, it the fact that it's free for everybody to go to you can spend it's a wonderful day you can walk around look at everything and then of course there's the jam and for folks in Boston, uh, the next one is coming up again this Saturday, starting at 6 p.m., bunch of different musical guests as well at the TD Garden Arena. Jim, two quick questions for you. I know I don't have much more time with you. No, no you problem. I, I'm curious, of all the stuff that you've accumulated for this collection, what has appreciated the most? What is worth more now than what you paid for it? What's gone up the most? Well, that's a good question. You know, it's, of course, on these things, it's in, you know, the eye of the beholder and, the um, you know, the purchaser who is in pursuit of something uh, when you're selling something. And, and it's debatable. You know, personally, I feel that the manuscript to Alcoholics Anonymous, written by Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, 
you know, um, back then, Dr. Silkworth, who was trying to find a solution, um, saved hundreds and hundreds of millions of lives um, uh, that's used in, you know, everything, not just drugs and alcohol, but weight loss and, and, and spiritual growth that, um, you know, this was completed. You know, it was founded in 1935, June 10th, in Akron, Ohio, when Dr. Bob and Bill met. Then it was written in 39, and with the help of Rockefeller, it was finally published, and books were made, and, and, and we were off, everything was off uh, forward. Um, and now, you know, right now, in, you know, three, 250 different countries, there's, you know, meetings going on right now as we speak on the hour, you know, um, and there's really nothing like it. Uh, it was ruled by um, historians and academic people that not Salk's vaccine for polio, not landing on the moon, but the the, the 12 steps and um, um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous with the 12 steps was the greatest discovery of the 20th century. And that's really saying something because we did, did some incredible things in the 20th century. So I think that's priceless. You know, I, I can't put a number on that. You know, certainly God, the scrolls gone up. Oh my God. So much. I mean, it's hard to say if that's worth 50 million now or whatever. What about a music item? What about a, what about a guitar or drums? Like in other words, you pay 4.4 for, the Gilmore Strat. Since you've had that, has somebody come to you and said, "Hey, Jim, I'll give you five or six million for it"? I mean, do you get stuff like that happen all the time? I, hey, I want that Cobain guitar. I'm going to give you double what you paid. Do, do you field a lot of that? Yes, I mean we've we've had offers by by you know private situations. For instance, you know there is a Gibson SG that was owned by George Harrison, played by George Harrison and John Lennon on the White Album and other albums. Um, it was the it was a guitar. George walked out in his hand in Candlestick Park for the last Beatles performance out of a Brinks truck um, in 1966. You know, George gave this to Peter Ham of, of um, Badfinger, um, who uh, committed suicide and left it to his brother, which eventually went up um, for auction. Um, you know, this guitar, you know, you know we, we've had offers north of $10 million for it in, in a private purchase. Um, there's entities out there that, you know, are in pursuit of these things, some out of the country, some not here. But, but one thing is clear, you know, we don't, we don't sell anything, and, and we're never going to sell anything. Like I said, you know, the offer of a billion dollars plus another $150 million, you know, for charities and, and public relation connections to the sale, um, you know, from a, a Middle East component, uh, you know, that being turned down just goes to kind of show you, I, I think, you know, the power of the whole collection together you know, is greater than picking it apart. You know, that can always be debated because some of the, you know, some people pick these things apart and think if they're selling, there's more value that way. But, but really, you know, Eddie, I mean, I'm not a seller. I mean, let me just say this. The collection is only 70, 75% done, you know, maybe 65%. Done. I mean, what you're going to see, I'm 64 if I'm blessed enough to live, you know, to, to 84 or a little beyond, you know, in the next 20-plus years. Um, you know, every 
week, this is, we just bought um, a, a copy of Al Pacino's notes on Scarface on a movie script. You know, oh, wow. um, that was just added to the collection. You know, there's just... It, it, it's so immense with so many things that I can't, you know, we bought all of the KGB's, um, uh, secretive, um, you know, spy materials, the ties that uh, can shoot a bullet, the pens that have poison, obviously that's been removed, but the spy museum in, you know, uh, New York city, um, during COVID went bust. And so I bought the museum. So we acquired all these items so it's really that eclectic, you know, letters from Charles Manson from prison, which really gets right up to the line on what you're willing to have, but still the Tate murders in 69 and what was happening with the country has historic importance. And even though his babble is, is, is so frightening and, 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 and so schizophrenic that it's still um, part of history. Um, so yeah. that's how eclectic the collection is. It, it's really, really unusual and um uh you know th there can never be one like it and one thing's for sure eddie it's the greatest guitar collection in the world you know there's no doubt not, there's not one that competes with it um and uh, people line up people line up just to look at i mean i saw it for myself they it's a wall of guitars it's behind you know it's obviously sealed off but people you it's just there's there's stanchions and people are just lined up waiting to get their chance to stand in front of this wall and take in this amazing collection that you have uh, accumulated jim the, the the counter thing to what i just said is i'm curious What's the one that you wanted the most that got away? That you was there one that was there something you wanted so badly and you got outbid on and you lost and like you know you were heartbroken. The one thing you wanted so yes. badly that you didn't get. Yes, Eddie, it was the big book of of Alcoholics Anonymous original manuscript, the Twelve Steps from Thirty Nine. I got outbid on that about nine years ago. And I said, never again, if it ever becomes up for auction, you know, no matter what, I will get that item. And somehow, some way, um, the individual needed the money, I think, had to sell. Um, uh, and um, so when it came up again, uh, you know, about six years ago, seven years ago, I got it. I mean, it was like, I got it, you know. And um, uh, so... It just, you know, that was a good story because, you know, it's kind of like the love of your life that got away in high school. But you meet, you know, at work when you're age 30 and, you know, you fall in love and you get married. Uh, so, I mean, that that was like a, a good ending story because really um, you have to lose sometimes. You know, I respect the market, as did Paul Allen, as did people like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Chris Martin the Fifth from Martin Guitars. I mean, you know, people go into this thing and, and they step away, you know. Um, they they respect the market. Um, and, and, you know, very few people know the market. Like, I can tell you what a guitar is worth, for instance. Um, you know, uh, originally Kurt Cobain's um, unplugged guitar um, you know, was owned by um, the the son-in-law um, or the ex-son-in-law of of Kurtz, and um, uh, and was given to him at their wedding, which was kind of controversial when his daughter got married. Um, but he owned the guitar. And I said, "Look at, look at, man, I'll give you. This is worth 
probably, you know, about like, you know, I, I think about 1.4 million at the time. That's what it was worth, you know, five or six years ago. And he said, no, you know, I'm going to take it to auction. I think I can do better. I said, well, if you go to auction, I'm not bidding. I just want to let you know I'm not threatening. I'm just being honest with you. Like, you know, I think it's worth this. And I'm out in an auction. So um, so he took it to auction. And an Australian billionaire just had to have it. It just had to have it. And someone else just had to have it because this ridiculous auction, you know, when the most expensive guitar was somewhere around, you know, because it kept switching off. And at one time, a Beatles guitar at about, you know, 2.7 million hold, held the record before Gilmore. And this was before Gilmore's Blackie. You know, that it, it went for $6 million. I mean, it just. I just, just, it just, we all scratched our head and said, ah, that's just one that doesn't, it has to be taken away from the charts because it didn't make any sense. Um, yeah. Because the market's really interesting. It started really about, you know, 25, 30 years ago, and I've been, been in it from the beginning. And so, you know, like on one Lennon guitar, I got, you know, um, I said, this is my max bid, and it went for exactly that. You know, because sometimes what you do is say, okay, my max bid's $3 million. So you put it in, but that doesn't mean you pay $3 million in a kind of auction like that is if it goes to $2 million and you're right. waiting at $3 million, then you get the $2 million bid, which was the highest one. So there's other auctions. Like I was in New York City for, you know, on the road, Kerouac, and all these countries. It was so big in New York, Christie's. You know, and so, you know, I had never done this before, and I was there, and I admit I was liquored up. I mean, you know, I got to confess, you know, <laughs> this is before I got sober. So I was talking to, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, Cameron Crowe, and they said, we got, you got to have it, you got to have it. So I went in there, you know, like, a, like, you know, Bill Belichick blitzing on defense every play. It's like before the guy could even put a number up, I put my paddle up. I mean, you know, I was like, and I think everyone just said, who is that crazed guy just forget him he's out of his mind like that would if that would have went to 25 million i would have got for that i was like i don't care no one is outbidding me today you know and uh oh by the way i passed the cognac um and and so um you know it it just as james mcmurtry says whiskey don't make liars it just makes fools you know and and so uh, you know but but it was a good foolish uh, endeavor because it turned out great and I didn't know what was happening before I knew it all these countries and reporters surrounding me you know uh, 20 people deep and you know I didn't even realize it was going to be that big of a deal you know so so it was kind of my rookie days as, as they would say and then shortly after came Tiger but I wasn't at that auction I don't really I haven't been to an auction for a while but for like Gilmore's Blackie like I was on the phone slugging it out um, you know, I, the CEO of the collections, Larry Hall, does a great job, and he's at a lot of these auctions. Um, and so it, it's very interesting because it only takes two to tango. When you get two competitive bidders, that's when you'll get a number high. You know. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of I do a lot of like uh, auctioning things off for charity at public events. Like I'll be on stage and I'll have a signed guitar. I host a lot of rock festivals. I'll be on the stage and we raise money for charity. And that's exactly what I noticed. It's like, I'm just working off the crowd and I'm picking people and you start off. There's a lot of hands up. And then at the end you hone in on those two people going back and forth. And 
see who's going to hang in there till the end. And that's always the driver. That's where you really get your number. Um, Jim, finally, one last thing I want to ask you. So you, you display this stuff brilliantly and take it on the road again, for folks listening in the Boston area, you're doing it at TD garden. I saw you in Vegas. I know you do a handful of these a year. Are do you continue? Are you, is your plan to continue to tour this like you are, or would you like to have it in a stationary place and just build a museum somewhere and leave it instead of moving it around? Cause I imagine it's a challenge with stuff this valuable to move it and display it properly and safely. Well, it's you're right. It's really like Pink Floyd on the road again in the '70s. You know, with the 300 foot pig and everything else. You know, it, it's it's massive. You know, it's tens of millions of dollars to to you know this is our tenth show, but we are coming out of Boston and we have Indy for our second show at Lucas Oil Stadium, which will be you know 50,000 plus. John Mellencamp will be their hometown favorite, amongst others. And then we're going to play Farm Aid. Um, uh, you know, Ann Wilson is just committed to that, and John Mellencamp's a good friend. So a lot of people want to play Farm Aid. Um, and, and so we're going to play Farm Aid and Andy, um, you know, in, um, uh, I, I believe it's uh, October. And... Uh, and so then we're going to go to Europe um, at some point, maybe 2025. Um, and it's big over in Europe. I mean, my God, you know, Hamburg, Milan, um, you know, London, uh, you know, uh, just um, it, it's, it's huge over there. And, and so they absolutely love, uh, they love American football because we're playing there in November and we're already sold out against the Patriots in November, and they love rock and roll. And and, and so uh, we're going to take it to Europe. Eventually, it'll be, you know, I have three daughters. It'll be put in a trust, and they'll be trustees, but it won't be able to be touched. It'll be curated and in, in a museum, um, you know, for after when I'm gone, you know, which I don't know when that'll be. I'm not planning on dying soon, but um, you have to make these plans. So, uh, you know, uh, eventually... You know, um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, it's going to be in a museum somewhere, but we don't know where. I'd like to have it in Indy, but it, it may need to be more like in New York or, or um, you know, somewhere like that, Los Angeles. Um, you know, it's undecided where that would be, but way down the road. But we're going to keep taking it on, on the road um, because I tell you, it, it's just... Um, look at, you know, I do, this is a give back to the fans for saying, thank you for buying Colts Patriot tickets for, you know, $300 or more. Thank you. You know, the band members are saying, you know, thank you for buying, you know, tickets to Hart, to Billy Gibbons, to, um, you know, to, 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 to the Eagles, the rock group with Vince Gill playing with us, uh, et cetera. This, this is saying, you know, you know, this one's for you. This is for the fans. This is a service to the arts and to the hardworking people. I don't need your money. You know, this is for you. This is to give you a free night out, you know, and yeah. have a blast and see the, one of the most incredible museums and bands in the world for free. And uh, in India, I even bought the first beer and hot dog for everyone. So, you know, it's my way of saying thank you. Um, you know, because look at 
you know, I know what it's like to have to, you know, you have kids and you have a mortgage and you have a visa bill, and it's hard to pay, you know, um, the amount of some, like the Springsteen tickets possibly on his tour and that sort of thing, you know, and so we want to give back. I want to give back to the arts, and we always do massive charity things with this show, too. So um, that's for real. People get confused because they don't understand. They go, well, I don't understand. There must be some catch. What do you mean it's for free? It's like, it's for free. You know, that's the real deal because, you know, for me, that's a way, you know, to give back, Eddie, to the arts. And so, you know, um, that's I'm really passionate about that because more people that have worked hard and have been blessed with the ways and means, more billionaires, you know, they need to do more. I mean, they need to, you know, waitresses and construction workers and police officers and firemen, they don't make enough. They need to make more money, you know. Radio um, show hosts, they don't either. Well, that's right. Everyone, you know, we need, you know, not socialism, but we need anyone that wants to work hard should be paid and paid more in this country, you know, in my mind. So anyway, I'm not going to start rambling on that, but I will. I got you. I appreciate where you're coming from on that. I really do. Well, I'm passionate about it because, you know, we, you know, Boston's going to be really an exciting place. I hope people realize, um, you know, the opportunity that they have, because like you said, Eddie, people that have come and seen the show say, that's the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, I've seen shows since the seventies. I mean, I mean, you don't, you think, oh, there's just going to be a few guitars. And I guess this band, they play a few songs. No, I mean, it's not that, I mean, no, it's all, I mean, no, I'm thrilled that I can say that I saw it. I mean, I came on the air, you know, having nothing to do with anything. I just want, by the way, I walked in there that day that I went to Vegas completely like, you know, I wasn't set up. I wasn't on any list. I, was, I just went because I'm like, wow, I've heard about Jim collecting this stuff. I'm a huge rock fan. I want to see this. And I'm like, y- you literally just walk in and it's in a beautiful setting. And there was just like a great stage and you guys were playing. And then I met some of your people and then I was lucky enough to meet you and say hello and all that. But it was just, yeah, I can't recommend it more highly. I did to my audience right after I saw it. And I will again right now, July And, 15th. you know, all the musicians look at it. We started this thing saying, look, it, we're 17 years old. We're in a garage band. We're having fun. Don't even bother. Look, at this is for fun. If you're not having a blast and everyone in the band loves each other, we tip our hat to all these movers who make us look so good because they literally set up a first-class museum with their bare hands with hard work and sweat so people can see this stuff. And it's just remarkable. Um, and, and believe me, it's a big pull. It takes a lot. Semi-trucks, many, many planes. I mean, it, it, it's a big show to push. But um, it's great because you want to bring joy to the world. I mean, we've you know, there's too much human suffering too many times when people are under stress, and, and it gives people a chance for three hours in their life on a day to say, hey, I'm just going to go and chill and take this time um, for joy and for happiness and for enlightenment, for inspiration. And that's what it's about. And you get that feel in everyone that's there because everyone wants to be there and they love to be there. And the band, um, that's the feeling that the band has, the camaraderie. Um, totally. They all know it's in that spirit of love. And, and so, um, you know, my job is just to produce the best show possible. And that's what I try to do. Like I said, give the people what they want, um, have them going away feeling 
that they really, really had three hours of their life, that they were inspired and entertained, and it didn't cost them a penny, and that means a lot to me. Yeah, there's no way you can beat that. Jim, last thing, I'll let you go on this. My audience would kill me if I didn't ask you this. Many of them called in and said, you got to ask them. There's a tremendous amount of frustration among rock fans, which I cater to, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how little rock they're actually putting in to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in recent years. And I've been trying to get going a true Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Would you ever have any interest in seeing something like that happen getting involved in it, getting behind it, maybe even folding in your museum into something like that? Or are you okay you with know, the I'm always, right I'm always open to, to looking at, at new frontiers because they're going to develop as we go forward in 2023 and beyond. And look at, I mean, how is Jethro Tull not in the Rock and Roll There you thing? go. I mean, I mean how Let's go, Jim. Possibly, Let's build it. Build it. You know, we'll go. Let's go true. do it. You know, uh, you're, and so I, I think um, you're always looking at new synergies that that, that can be really positive. And uh, look, at, we're we're taking care of rock right now. That's also what this show is about. You know, is um, we don't have a lot of guys that are going to be around very much longer. You know, Buddy Guy plays with us at 88 yeah. years old, which is one of the most remarkable things. When Buddy's with the band, he can't be for Boston, unfortunately. But um, you know. He's been with us many times, and it's just incredible, um, you know, the stories, you know, that, that he tells. And, and, the, and he's the last standing guy. I mean, but he's the original, original. You know, it's like, you know, great musicians like Kenny Wayne Shepherd see him or Mike Mills or whatever oh, yeah. from R.E.M., and they go, you know, that guy's the original. We try to, like, copy him. <laughs> we'll never be him. But I've, I've interviewed him a couple times, man, and he's a wonderful I know, guy. Daddy. It's been an honor to interview him. I've, I've done a couple TV things with him, and he's, he's just such a nice man as well. Well, American treasure for sure. And yeah. And a great guy. So, so I love to hear, you know, we're all trying to keep that light burning bright for rock and roll because um, we know how music has changed and everything else has changed. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's so important because there's still a big appetite, uh, even amongst the young people, um, that their moms and grandpas and grandmas and older brothers and sisters played for them. And, and they love to, um, they, they love to hear these songs, you know? Um, and so, uh, um, you know, when we're playing and Ann Wilson does Van Morrison's Into the Mystic, that's a magical moment now, and it's hard to you can't find that almost anywhere. Um, if anyone ever has a chance to see her version she did with our band, it's just unbelievable, you know. So, so let's keep that light burning, Eddie. No question about it. And I do want to add one thing: with the collection, the non-famous guitars are immense. You know, pre-World War II Martin D45s. Um, you know, there's a Martin guitar from 1850, um, you know, uh, in a coffin case. There's, you know, there's, there's just some of the greatest um, uh, um, electric guitars in the world, Les Paul lineage, Strat lineages, um, that are carefully put into the collection. So true, true lovers of the guitar and those that, like, you know, Kenny Wayne Shepherd helps me a lot in acquiring, um, you know, not in bidding, but off and, and, and buying it separately in private sales. Some of these 
really great guitars that were never owned by someone famous per se. But that's incredible to see too, because there are um, the the people that really do know um, what it means to have a 1959 Les Paul in mint condition. You know, so those are in the collection too um, for true guitar lovers and guitar players, because there's a lot of those out there too. Yeah, no doubt. It's great stuff. I really appreciate the time, Jim. It's great to talk to you. It was great to meet you briefly in Vegas. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you again. And I think it's wonderful what you're doing. It's fantastic that you've made this free for people. It's a celebration. It's uh, it's, it's just such a great afternoon. And uh, I encourage everybody, if you're in the Boston area, to go see it at TD Garden this coming Saturday, uh, starting at 6 p.m. Great to talk to you. And um Thanks Again, so I appreciate much, the man. time, and I hope, hope to see to you soon. See ya. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I really appreciate the time. Love your show. And, uh, you know, we're fired up uh, for Saturday night in Boston. So, everyone, come on out, and all you do is have to register for your free ticket, and you get it, and, and you're in, and that's that. So, uh, really looking forward to a great night, uh, and thanks so much for having me, Eddie. You got it. Hope to see you soon, Jim. Thank you very much for the time. All right, bro. Thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Take care. Well, it'll be nice if Jim Ursay lets us build a real Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? I had to ask. <laughs> it was great to talk to him, and I hope the event went well in Boston. Of course, the stuff we were talking about in there, that particular event has already happened. But if he does one of those showings near you, I highly recommend it because it's really, really cool. And I thank him for taking some time out. And uh, joining us here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, and of course, originally on Trunk Nation, which is where all the interviews you hear originated. And again, if you'd like to come on board and join me on Sirius XM, you live in the U.S. or Canada, you're not already listening every day, 3 to 5 Eastern Time Live on Faction Talk 103 or on the app, you can try it for free. SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. No credit card required. Get your free three-month trial and listen every day to Trunk Nation on 103. Again, 3 to 5 Eastern Time, live or on demand, whenever you'd like. Be sure to follow on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page. Check out the new YouTube show, That Rocks, on YouTube, totally free. Punch it in. I've got my old Bat Metal Show partners back, Don Jameson and Jim Florentine. We do a show free every week on YouTube. Some of the uh, great names in rock joining us each and every week as well. Check it out. There's about a dozen episodes there for you to check out right now. Again, just go to YouTube, punch in That Rocks. You'll see them all come up. And you can subscribe there as well so you never miss any information as to when we're going to be doing the show live because we do that live initially on YouTube as well. All right, so a lot going on. Hope you guys are all enjoying your summer. Hope you enjoyed the interviews. And I'll catch you next Thursday for another podcast. Take care. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. 
try the $5 bacon bundle because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle, follow your crave.